Welcome to the Serialized Short Story Podcast, Secrets Out, by Christopher Chapman. Secrets Out is performed by the author. You can pre-order Secrets Out as an ebook that will play on Kindle, Nook, Kobo, and any iDevice you can get your hands on by going to goingpostalpublishing.com and clicking on the store link. Listener discretion is advised. There are adult situations, violence, and naughty words your mother wouldn't want you repeating to your neighbor. And now, the story continues. Welcome to the Going Postal Cast. I am author Christopher Chapman. This is The House, Part 2. How are all of you doing? I am pretty well. It has been a week since you heard the sultry sounds of my voice. Quite a bit has happened in that time. I will cover that after the story. You'll find out about my newest proof copy of Secrets Out and the thing that was all screwed up with it. But first, I need to talk about the upcoming portion of The House. Now, there is a character in The House that... He was supposed to be kind of like a uh, kind of like a hillbilly type voice, but for some reason, and you'll hear it multiple times in this, I keep transitioning somehow to basically Uncle Don from Fireflies. And I had thought I went back and fixed most of it, but listening back to this yesterday as I was preparing the episode, I realized. Yeah, I missed quite a bit of it and was doing the Uncle Don voice at portions of the story. I didn't even realize I was doing the Uncle Don voice. So you're going to hear a little bit of that Louisiana stuff. And then at other times you're going to hear, you know, some hillbilly or kind of a uh, just a simpleton type voice. You know, this is a guy who's been through some rough times, but you're going to find out about that in the story. And so we're going to get into that right now. I just wanted to warn you, I apologize for it. If I would have had a little bit more time, and that's my fault for not doing it sooner, I would have gone back and fixed it. And I will fix it if there's ever an audiobook version of this. But I believe that releasing the podcast as it is, you have free access to the stories. And I've been trying to keep them up on the site. So it's never going anywhere, so you don't really need the... Uh, audiobook version. If there is a request for an audiobook version, I will see what I can do. But for right now, this is going to be it. So if I ever go back to make the audiobook version, you will get a fixed version of that, I promise. And so I'm going to get into the story. Here is The House, Part 2. Four. Mitch's first day of shooting was their third day living there. He packed up some of his equipment heading for the door. He kissed Linda goodbye and hugged his son. He left with them believing that he was off to study a different haunted house. He had rented a motel room a few blocks away. It was the lone motel in Carson City, but he managed to get good treatment from the owner. He was allowed to use the built-on garage because the owner was rarely there, and he got a great deal on the room just because he would mention it on the show. He set up the camera in the room, It was focused on his face. He was ready to make his opening statement before going to his actual work, which was staring at his 27-inch IMAX screen all day. 
studying everything that was happening in his house. He would be doing plenty of filming in the actual house, but he would wait until Linda took a trip into Grand Rapids before he did that. This is Mitch Anderson, your host, he said into the camera. I have a very special episode for you this week. I am looking into a haunted house that none of you have ever heard about. I am living. He continued on, telling his viewers the essential backstory that he knew about the house. He tried to make it sound as interesting as possible, giving something that he could work with later. The most important part of the story was that he was going to be living in that house. He knew that he would get a lot of interest that way, especially after they built it up using social media outlets such as Twitter and Facebook. He would have the viewers eating out of the palm of his hands when it was all said and done. He spent the entire day watching the monitor. He knew that he wasn't going to find much of anything. He even took a few hours to look over footage that was recorded over the last few days, including the moment that Linda and he broke in their new bed for the first time. It wasn't porn material, but he was a good-looking guy, and she wasn't half bad herself. It would have been better if she still looked like she had before Russ was born. The only things that were recorded involved his family. The motion sensors picked up next to nothing. He did discover that there was a mouse living under the counter in the kitchen, and that was something he would deal with later. He returned home shortly after five to a wonderful dinner. He knew that they were having a beef roast before he got home because he saw Linda getting it ready on the video surveillance. He couldn't let her know that, though, so he acted surprised to see his favorite meal when he got there. There was something different about the house when he got home. He tried to put his finger on it, but couldn't. Something just felt different about it. Linda went to bed at 9. She always went to bed at 9. Mitch told her that he was going to stay up a little while. He grabbed the video camera and his EM meter. An EM meter is a gauge that focuses on electromagnetic fields. The great thing about it is that it's sensitive to whether people or animals are near. Spirits supposedly give off much higher electromagnetic readings, so many of the ghost hunters that he knew about used this device. He decided that he was going to record a few minutes of him walking through the house with it. He could add any words that he needed to use later in a voiceover session. He walked slowly through the house cringing every time his foot touched one of the creaky spots that he hadn't learned about yet. He was aware that he would have a hard time explaining things if Linda or Russ got up and saw what he was doing. The last thing he needed was for them to realize what they were really here for on his first full day of recording. It could jeopardize his entire plans. He was careful, walking from room to room with the EM meter held out. He moved it towards himself, making sure that it worked. It did. He checked the upper floor first, wanting to get it out of the way. The needle never moved. He then checked the ground level, and that was more of the same. He went to the basement door, ready to check it, but thought better of it. He checked his watch and saw that he'd already been at it for over a half hour. That was more time than he wanted to spend. The needle on the EM meter moved just a bit. Mitch's heart nearly skipped a beat as he wondered if he'd found something. The needle immediately went back to zero. He moved the meter forward, checking again to see if there was anything. The needle never moved. He sighed, 
realizing that it had been an error. He went to bed that night ready to do it all again the next day. 5. After a week into the project, he was starting to feel as if this place was a dud. He wasn't getting anything out of the ordinary on any of his cameras, and his nightly reading kept coming up with nothing. He had almost no footage he could use. Linda wanted to see an early copy of what he was working on. He had to keep coming up with reasons why not to let her into his world. She was always one of his biggest supporters. It had been that way ever since he decided to leave the church. She had always been more religious than he was, but she had grown tired of the lifestyle. As with many people today, she felt as if she were being held down by religion. She wanted to explore some of the finer things in life and believed that her religious beliefs kept her from fully enjoying or expressing herself. Since their departure from religion, they'd experienced things they never thought possible. They were finally able to drink. There was nothing better than a glass of red wine before bed. The sex was also phenomenal. They were doing more things in the bedroom than ever before. He learned about one of her toys by watching the surveillance video on night three. She looked as if she'd used it many times before. She was a pro at that thing. He got a strange excitement watching her use it. He took advantage of the situation as well. Other than the occasional weird reading when passing the basement door, there had been no other evidence of paranormal activity, and no amount of dramatic effect was going to change that. This place had nothing that he could use. He would have to wait for her to leave the house for a full day before he'd be able to dramatically alter what was happening here. He tried to coax Linda into taking Russ to her mother's for a day or two, but she'd refused to do that so far. She told him that she was starting to like the house. Even stranger than that, she said she'd briefly considered about talking to him about staying here for good. Mitch wondered what had gotten into her. She loved their other house. They'd bought that one, and it was a very nice house. It was everything they could ever want in a house. Yet she was talking about how she could see herself staying in this one that was half the size of their other one, and needed a ton of work to make it properly livable. Russ didn't care one way or another. He spent most of his free time playing with toys. He would be going back to school in a little over a month, and Mitch was adamant about getting his son back into his old school district because he'd heard nothing but bad things about the one in Carson City, which was almost non-existent. Linda listened to everything he said, but continued to talk about her love of the house. It was very strange of her, and wasn't something he'd anticipated. 6. Mitch didn't realize that something was wrong until it was almost too late. He was so busy trying to come up with ways to spruce up the content of the show that he hadn't realized that the content was being made for him. He spent most of his day watching the videos, studying the empty rooms of the house, and watching as his wife went to town on herself with interesting devices that he didn't remember ever seeing before. Russ was starting to confess his love for the house as well. It was strange because he'd spent so much time expressing his anger in being in this house at the beginning. He wanted to go home and be with all of his friends. He hadn't met a single friend in Carson City, yet he was talking about staying here forever. You need to go to the old house for a while, Mitch told him at dinner on the two-week anniversary of being in the house. I have a lot of things to go over this weekend, and I'm going to be bringing a lot of it home with me. 
I think it would be better if you all go for a couple of days. I want to stay here, Linda said, her voice filled with anger. This is our home now. This is an apartment, Mitch clarified. This is a place where I have a lease and pay money to rent while I do my job. This is not our house. We have a house, a great house, and we'll be going back to that soon. He turned towards Russ. How about you? I'm sure that you'd like to see some of your friends for a couple of days. Russ shrugged his shoulders and went back to playing with his Thomas the Tank engine, pushing it on top of the coffee table. Look, Mitch continued, it's only a couple of days. Go back to the old house for a few days, mostly to check up on it, and let me get my work done. I promise that you can come back on Monday, and I'll never ask you to leave again until we have to move out at the end of our time here. Linda's stare could have burned a hole through him. He'd never seen her look that way. I'm holding you to that, she said. I can tell when I'm not wanted here. I'm sure that your bitch of a girlfriend will be coming by all weekend. If you're going to be fucking somebody, why do you make it so obvious? Whoa, hey, Mitch said, trying to calm the situation. Where did this language come from? Russ is right there. He can hear everything that you're saying. He's playing, she said absently. He's not paying any attention to us. Yes, I am, Russ said, also absently. See, Mitch chimed in. I'm more concerned about where this whole cheating on you thing came from. I'm not cheating on you. I just need to get some work done, and it wouldn't be fair to all of you. Maybe you just want the house all to yourself, she said. That's not true, he said, not really sure what she meant. It should have been innocent, as if she was saying that he wanted to be alone for the weekend, but it felt strangely worse than that. He wondered if she was getting at something that was actually more about the house than the time alone. I just need a couple of days to get some work done without distraction. There's nothing more to it than that. You'll be back in a couple of days, and all will have returned to normal. She looked at him skeptically. He had seen that look only a few other times in all the years they'd been together. And they had all been when he was being coy about what he'd gotten her for her birthday or Christmas. It was a non-trusting look. He didn't like seeing it on her now. She eventually took Russ and left the house, heading north to their actual home. He hated to see her go, but he needed time alone with the house to get his work done, and he was getting kind of tired of watching her masturbate on the surveillance camera, which was now becoming a daily ritual. The first thing he did when they left was check her side of the bed. She had an end table that housed many of her belongings that she wanted to keep close. He found a book that she'd been reading, but there were an unusually high amount of sex toys at the back of the drawer. Accompanying the toys was a small stack of receipts. They came from a shop located in Greenville. It was from some of the few times she'd actually gotten out of the house. She had left Russ behind, making it difficult for him to get work done when he needed to. He saw that she had done more than shop for groceries on those trips. He saw many of those purchases within the drawer. That was the least of his worries. What she did to get herself off was her business. As long as she remembered that he was still there, then he was fine. There was so much to do in the next couple of days that he didn't know where to start. He had a lot of filming to do, but he also wanted to dig deeper and find out if there was anything about the house that he didn't know. 
The idea that there was no history in a house that spanned more than 30 years ago, when it was obvious that it was a lot older than that, left him with many questions that he needed answered. He wanted more of a backstory on the house for when he put the episode together. Little nuggets and facts about houses were something that the viewers ate up. There had to be a backstory, something he hadn't seen yet, that he could find and give his viewers. He would go to the nearest library, wherever that was, and see if they had anything about the house. If that didn't work, he would start interviewing people in the town. There had to be somebody that knew something about the house. It was all just a matter of figuring out the correct avenue to take. 7. He'd never been as frustrated as he was on that first day. He'd done zero recording and had nothing to show in the research department. He found a library, but there was nothing there that allowed him to go back more than 30 years. He talked to people outside the library, but nobody seemed to want to talk to him. They acted as if he were wearing a sign that said that he carried a horrific disease that they needed to stay away from. He was just about to head back to the house for a recording session when an old man stared at him from behind a post. Can I help you? Mitch asked, uncomfortable with the attention he was getting. The old man looked in all directions before saying, I think it is I who might be able to help you. He paused, looking around again. He was obviously nervous about something. You want to know about that house. I know all about it. Have proof, too. I'll be willing to tell you on one condition. What would that be? You get me the fuck out of here when you leave town, he said. I've been here too long and have seen far too much. You set me up with a small place wherever you're from, TV boy, and I'll tell you all you want to know. Mitch wasn't sure how he should respond. The man was talking nonsense to him. What did he have to be afraid of? This seemed like a nice enough town. He weighed his options. The money from the episode would be more than enough to set the old man up for a month or two. He would have to reevaluate after that. Fine. As long as I feel that the information is good, Mitch said. You'll be blown away, TV boy, the old man said. Meet me back here later this evening, after everything is shut down for the night. You'll be surprised how far this goes back. 8. Mitch met the old man several hours later, back in the parking lot of the library. He'd spent much of the time in between getting what little recording done that he could. There was something different about the house. He could feel it. Each and every step he made felt as though he were being watched by some unseen person. His eyes darted around trying to catch a glimpse of what was giving him his worry. After a while, he decided that he was being foolish. He was feeling this way because his family was gone for a few days. That didn't seem right either. He had been in the house for a couple of days before they moved in and nothing felt out of the ordinary. That had been a while ago. Things had been different then. For shits and giggles, he brought out his EM meter and scanned some of the rooms. He was awed when the meter picked up small amounts of electromagnetic energy. The biggest amount came from the door leading to the basement. He placed his hands on the doorknob, realizing that this wasn't the first time that the basement had given the meter fits. Was there something about the basement that he was unaware about? He didn't know. He had never been in the basement in all of the time he'd been in the house. Now was the time to fix that. The alarm on his phone buzzed, 
reminding him that he needed to go to the library. He reluctantly stepped away from the door, intending to deal with it again after the meeting. Seeing the old man again should have made him happier than he was. He was skeptical about the whole thing. He didn't like the way that people of the town had treated him throughout the day, only to have an old man come to him and tell him that he'd give him information, but it was for a price. So, you gonna take me with you when you go? The old man said, standing next to a truck that seemed even older than he was. It was battered and had several rust spots that made it look more brown than the red it was supposed to be. As long as what you tell me can help my television show, Mitch said. How did you know about my television show? I don't exactly know a lot of people around here that would have been able to see that station. It's not on any of the cable networks around here. I got cousins that tapes them for me, the old man said. I watch all them ghost hunting shows. I want to know if they'll ever figure out the truth. The truth about what? That one not alone? The man said. Ghosts are real. I can attest to that myself. Mitch thought that the man was crazy. He didn't seem like the type of man that held any information that would be vital to him or his show. He seemed like a guy that was a little off kilter and needed some time in a padded room. Must be pretty unusual for a man that once served as pastor to now be a ghost hunter, the old man continued. I don't imagine that the two things exactly go hand in hand. I don't want to talk about me, Mitch said. I want to know about that house. What is going on? Why can't I find anything about it that goes back more than 30 years? That house has to be closer to 100 years old than to 30. You're right about that, the old man said. It's well over 100. How do you know that? I once pulled a board off the wall in the basement, the man said. There was a piece of paper glued to the back side of it. That's what they used for insulation back in the day. They thought that it would help keep the cold air out and the warm air in. Nowhere good as the stuff we got today. He paused. As far as the newspapers goes, I looked for a date on it, and dang it, I found one. November 24, 1901. That house is well over 100 years old. You live there? Mitch asked, suddenly excited. For three months, the old man said. I lived there right up until it happened. What happened? Mitch asked. I'll get to that in a minute. There's a lot I need to cover, so you're going to have to be patient. We don't have a lot of time before we're discovered. Then who knows what'll happen? Huh? Mitch asked, but didn't pursue it any further. He wanted to hear what the man had to say. I brought you a couple things, the old man said, reaching into his truck and producing several newspapers and notebooks. Each of them had to be very old. The paper was tinted yellow on everything he saw. He wasn't sure just how long it took for paper to yellow like that. The old man handed the stack of papers to Mitch, who started going through them almost immediately. The old man didn't seem pleased, interrupting him almost immediately before he got anything out of it. You can look over those on your own time, the man said. I want to make sure you understand what is going on here. As far as I know, I'm the only one that has stayed at the house and lived to tell about it. You might want to increase your life insurance because you're next one way or another. Have you started to get the thoughts yet? What thoughts, Mitch asked. 
Obviously, then the answer is no, the old man said. Good. Maybe you have enough time to figure this thing out. He paused. For me, the thought started about three weeks after moving into the place. My father loved ghost stories, and this one was a doozy. He heard all kinds of things about the house, although many of the people in town would never talk about it. They didn't want to admit that they had a dark secrets that they didn't want to get out. That house was used for many things back in the day, but you'll find out about that soon enough. Anyway, my dad moved us in there, buying the place just as it was going into the fifth year. I'll assume that he was a lot like you in many ways, although he was never bright enough to think about something like a TV show. We didn't have much for TVs back then. They were all black and white, and we were lucky to get one station over the rabbit ears that we placed on top of it. He paused again to catch his breath. I'm getting off track. A few weeks into it, I started to think that my parents were trying to kill me. To this day, I don't fully understand how it worked, or what was being said. What I do remember was thinking that they wanted to kill me, and that I needed to do something to stop them before it became a reality. I don't know if I ever truly believed it, but it seems real enough to me. I would stay up at night, staring at the ceiling and wondering if they were coming for me. I even spent a night in my closet, stuffing some pillows underneath the comforter so it would look like I was there. They didn't come that night, but I knew they were coming. It finally got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. I went into the basement, and that's when I found it. I knew as soon as I saw it that I needed to use it. I immediately went back upstairs and found my mom preparing dinner. One swipe, and the chili had a little more red sauce than it needed. I went looking for my dad, but he was already looking for me. The house had him, too. We met upstairs. He was waiting for me in my bedroom. Our eyes met, and we knew that it was the end for one of us. Or maybe even both of us. We went at it, both of us carrying weapons. I was young, which made me a smaller target. I swiped at him and cut open his leg. That was all I needed. The pain changed him, reverting him back to whatever he was before all hell broke loose. I didn't care. I sliced open his belly. I watched as he frantically tried to hold all of his innards inside him. He grabbed hold of his intestines and were trying to push them back into the hole. It was all for naught. I watched him as he died a minute later. Oh my god, Mitch said, hoping that even some of this was true. He wished that he had a camera recording of what he was saying, as opposed to the tape recorder in his pocket. A video would have meant so much more for the people that would watch the episode. What else happened? That was part two of The House. Hope you enjoyed it. I cut it off in the middle of a chapter. I am. I felt that was a little bit better to go with a little bit of a mini cliffhanger into next week as opposed to waiting for the chapter to end. Hope you don't mind. But now it's time to talk about Secrets Out and the never-ending problems with the print copy that is slowing down everything. So for those of you who are keeping tabs, Secrets Out has been sent to both the Nook store and the iBook store. The Kindle version will be available very shortly. 
I just basically have to run the file through a Kindle converter and then send it to Amazon and it'll be on the Amazon store the next day. I am basically waiting for probably the iBooks version to show up. That'll be the first one to show up. I'm telling you, Barnes & Noble is uber slow when it comes to this. I can submit it and, well, here's an example. I submitted the the price changes for the 99 cent book sale, which if you haven't taken advantage of that yet, what's wrong with you? So I submitted the 99 cent price change for the book sale. I did it on for both the Nook and for iBooks on the same day. iBooks basically the next day, or maybe it was about 48 hours, went down to 99 cents. That was days ago. Nook still is at $2.99, and I'm basically waiting on that to appear as at $0.99 cents before I go back and return the ebooks to their normal prices. So you basically have until Nook shows up at $0.99 cents to get your orders in on all those different sites because once that happens, then the clock starts ticking for it to go back the other direction. Kindle as I said, it's a 24-hour process. It is super smooth, super quick. iBooks, same thing, super smooth, super quick. Takes a little bit longer, but that's fine. So, print version. I had the original version that I have since, I've actually sent that out to somebody, and he's going to be getting that any day now, I'd, I'd imagine. And so I had ordered, I made the corrections. There was a few minor mistakes in it. Those were my mistakes. And I had also forgotten to do the about the author page. And so I had to go back and do that. So I added the about the author page and made it look all nice and whatnot. And this has always been a problem for me. I In the original versions of Incarceration, there was no about the author page. Every version that is out there of Daddy's Little Girl that do exist has no About the Author page. And in this one, I tried to skip the About the Author page again, and I figured I better actually take the time to get that on there. So I sat down with my computer, and I put in, instead of that typical, you know, professional-looking photo that you see with all the authors, I put in a goofy-looking photo me wearing a little blue hat that one of my kids had, so look forward to that. And I made it look all nice and pretty and then submitted it to the printer. So I get my proof copy, my second proof copy, proof copy, and it is totally messed up. The photo, which I went back and looked at the file that I sent them, and the photo's right there at the top, and then below it is the text. Well, for some reason... When it went to the printer, all of a sudden, the text just wrapped itself around the picture. So you, the first words you see is basically, is something or other, and then you go over to the other side, Christopher. And, okay, that's really weird. So I had to sit there, and I went back to my file, and my file's fine. So I made some adjustments, and I resubmitted the file, and now I'm waiting on yet another proof copy of Secrets Out so I can officially release it and send it to Amazon and all that good stuff. This is the unfortunate headache that always seems to pop up when you're a small 
publisher like me and small author like me, these are the things where you don't have the millions of man hours at your disposal or hundreds or thousands of man hours. You have whatever you have in a day and you have to rely on other people. And sometimes that goes good and sometimes you want to take a gun and blow out your own brain sometime. I mean that as a joke. Seriously, do not call the authorities and say, he's trying to kill himself. He's trying to kill himself. I don't think he just hates himself. No, I'm I'm fine. I really am. It, I'm being dramatic. So that's going to do it for this week. Hopefully I have better news for you next week with Secrets Out. Hopefully it's already, it's going to be available in multiple places. I'm going to quickly run through all the different places you can find me. GoingPostalPublishing.com. On that site, you can also find a Amazon link. Click through that and do your shopping, and a couple of pennies come back for every dollar you spend. You can contact me, send me your questions, comments, or cheap shots. GoingPostalPublishing at gmail.com. You can like me on Facebook, facebook.com slash GoingPostalPublishing. And on Twitter, at GoingPostalPub. So that's going to about do it. Oh, and remember, incarceration, 99 cents for the ebook. You can't beat that. It is a good book, 99 cents. Join the revolution, guys. Come on, 99 cents. Only a couple more days. When you hear this, I might already be starting to transition back to the normal price. 99 cents. Come on. So that's going to do it. Take care, everybody. I'll be back next week with part three of the house, and hopefully I'll be able to spend some time and fix the voices and make sure it's all one voice as opposed to Uncle Don talking about some stuff from the South, you know? So take care, everybody. Have a great week. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing. 